0: Welcome back to the Queer Circle podcast, where queer healers come to the mic to share their journeys and what they tell their younger selves. Today's guest is Pakalana Lokahi Lisun, an Asian Hawaiian asexual androromantic, mau Wahine and trans non-binary queer femme therapist in Seattle, Washington. Pakalana has a bachelor's in nuclear medicine, a master's of education in learning disabilities and a Master's in Counseling Psychology. Welcome to the Queer Circle, Pakalana.
1: In a beautiful day May, when I was born. <laughs> Actually what happened was um, when my mother was pregnant with me, my Apo, which means grandmother in Chinese, had died. And my mother wanted to go to her funeral because they didn't have that great of a relationship. <laughs> and uh Everybody in the family, especially my aunts who are very Chinese Buddhist superstitious said that you can't go to a funeral because you're pregnant and this will seriously impact your child. And if you go to the funeral, your child will grow up to be a very anxious person. And my mother, who's not Chinese, and who's Catholic, didn't believe any of that. And she went to the funeral. And then when I was born, there was lots of things. I was a very anxious person. I was a very frightened person. I was a spirit child when I was born. Like I would see and hear things that other people didn't see and hear, which People thought I was like weird um, seeing spirits and spirits like being in front of me and talking to me scared the shit out of me <laughs> so they don't do that anymore but I hear things in my brain it's not coming from me <laughs> so the spirits talk to me but they Don't appear in front of me because they know that that will scare me because I'm like a (laughs) scaredy-pants. So, um, that's how I came into the world. I always knew I was different and growing up, I knew I was different. Growing up in Hawaii is an interesting place because it's a melting pot. So, at a very, very young age, you know cultural differences so when you go out and play with a friend you know what their ethnicity is even though they don't tell you when you're eating foods you just know this is Chinese this is Japanese this you know all of that stuff so that was part of my growing up and then when I moved to the continental United States that was horrible (laughs) That's when I first experienced racism and um, when I went to the nearest Safeway, they didn't sell any Asian foods like they do in Hawaii. (laughs) So yeah, that's how I came into the world. Um, Ethnically, I'm Chinese and Korean and I grew up immersed in both cultures. It was very interesting because um, my mother was very, very Catholic and she raised me and my brother as Catholic. But it was confusing because I grew up in a Budo Catholic environment. so a lot of things that a lot of traditions that we practiced were actually buddhist but we were catholic and according to the catholic teaching you're not supposed to do the the buddhist stuff but growing up in hawaii that changed things so um that was an interesting experience also as a really young child i was uh Physically abused by my father, which I remember vividly to this day. I was molested by my father, which I don't have any memory of, but I know I, you just, you know, if you were molested. I also was molested by a cousin <clears throat> who's a nun, and I was bullied as a kid. And I was emotionally abused by almost everybody when I was growing up. And so when I was growing up, the the message, <coughs> the definite message that I was given was that I was stupid, I was dumb, um, I was fat, I was ugly, basically I was undesirable and that's environment that I grew up in my early realization of myself I always knew I was different because I was a spirit child now when I was a child I didn't say oh I'm a spirit child But as I got older and studied, studied different things, then I realized that as a child, I was a spirit child. Um, I would see things. I remember, I remember when I was seven, my grandfather died. This is a seven-year-old kid who knows nothing about death. But my grandfather died. And we had to go to the funeral um, and all of that stuff and then a couple of years later I remember having a dream about my grandfather coming to me and saying in Korean you are a good child because and the Korean word for that is sumara and um when I was growing up, nobody ever told me that. They told that to my brother. That was my I thought that was my brother's Korean name. Because everybody said it <laughs> so often. Um But that was an interesting dream. So I always knew that I was different. Um I always knew that I was queer. Um what that actually Means to me seriously evolved and changed as I got older. Um, I knew I liked feminine stuff more than boy stuff. Like, I didn't like playing sports or football and all that kinds of crap that my parents. Forced me to do. I was uncoordinated as a kid. I just didn't enjoy it. I like playing with my friend next door, who was a girl. Um, I like playing with dolls. Um, my parents. I'm sure my parents found that very disturbing. With being Asian parents, they don't. They don't say anything because that's not part of the culture. You never know what Asian parents are thinking. because <laughs> They don't say anything. I mean they communicate. Their communication is pretty awful. So I like playing with dolls. I like playing with Barbies. I remember playing with this particular Barbie um, that when you bent your knees you could hear like knuckles cracking. <laughs> so I liked playing with Barbies but I knew I wasn't a girl Um, and I had no desire to be a girl but I just knew that I wasn't entirely a boy and I didn't know what that means but because of that it caused a lot of bullying. and. So, my early realization of myself was that I was very different. Um, I was toying with the idea about my gender. I was toying with my idea about sexual orientation. So, now when I grew up in Hawaii, um, I was born um, in the Hawaiian nation. Before Hawaii became a state, so Hawaii became a state a year after I was born. Um, And so when I was growing up, Hawaii, especially Honolulu, was blossoming into an American city. So when I was born, there were like a handful of hotels in Waikiki. And then by the time I was in high school, Waikiki was this... Massive, crazy mess that it is today. Um, and so there are a lot of things that was different for me. Um, I grew up in a, uh, I grew up with a Hawaiian family, so I also was immersed in the Hawaiian culture. Um, and Even though Hawaiian history, the real Hawaiian history is not taught anywhere else, it is taught in Hawaii. And so we learned a lot about um, how the Hawaiian nation was illegally taken over by force by the Americans and that the whole reason why they wanted to take over Hawaii was because of capitalism. there was a lot of distrust in Hawaii for the American government and um, I still distrust the American government today and I have every right to do so. As a person of color, the police are not my friends, I've never had a positive experience with the police. And all that grew was my early realizations of myself, was that I was different. I don't, I mean, sometimes I'll say I'm Asian American, but I don't really, I don't really identify as Asian American, which an Asian American is somebody who's ethnically Asian living in the United States. Well, I refer to myself as Asian Hawaiian because I'm an Asian American who grew up in the Hawaiian nation and um, the Hawaiian nation, Hawaiian sovereignty is very important to me. So that was my experience when I was young, my early realization of myself. I remember when I was a kid, the movie Christine Jergensen came out. I was a kid, I was really young. I was are probably still in elementary school. I had no idea who Christine Jurgensen was. But for some reason, I also don't... It's not really a family movie, but my family took us kids to see this movie. And I think because my parents were just interested in what this was all about. So it was an interesting story about Christine Jurgensen being the first trans woman to surgically transition. Um, and I remember as we're going through the movie, my mother would always tell me, this is what you did, this is what you did, this is what you did. So it always seems like she somehow thought that I was different or that I was a mahu. Um, But at that stage, um, I mean, that's so early in my life, I had no idea. I remember when I was 12, my mother asked me if I was a homosexual. (laughs) And I said, well, I don't know. I don't think so, but I'm not sure. But she never asked me that when I got older. These are crazy questions like, why are you asking me this? So um, my early realization of myself, the early realization of myself was that I was dumb and stupid because when I was in kindergarten, I had a lot of trouble. Well, first of all, I was molested and uh, sexually and emotionally and physically abused at a very early age. And while the physical abuse didn't really continue for the most part, I mean it did sometimes, the emotional abuse was constant. And it wasn't just from... <clears throat> my parents, it was from other family members, it was from other kids in the neighborhood. So I really learned that this is a very unsafe world. And I didn't trust anybody and so socializing was always scary for me. When I was in kindergarten, we had to, everybody had a different chore you're supposed to do to make the class function. And so you had to go to this bulletin board and you had to find your name and it will tell you what chore it was. This was a bulletin board. It was a very variegated bulletin board. It was just all a bunch of colors. They're all coming at me at once. And it just looks like a like a collage of color, mess. So I could never find my name, so the teacher would always say, who would like to help me find my name? Um, It was very, very embarrassing. Um, There are other things going on, which I wasn't aware about, but I think there are other things going on. So one day they told me that I needed to go to the office. So I went to the office. And I remember this very clearly, I went to the office and I said that I'm here because my teacher said I was supposed to come here. So they said one moment and uh, this man came out, this white man, and I remember he was a white man because this is Hawaii, (laughs) you don't see too many white men in your school. This was a white man, he was wearing a white shirt and a striped tie and he told me to come in to his office and sit down. And I sat down and he explained to me that he would be doing some things and asking me some questions and I had no idea what he was talking about. I didn't understand a single word that what he was telling me. because, I, uh, I mean, I grew up in a very abusive environment. So, if I said I don't understand or if I ask questions, that could mean I could be physically harmed. So I just said yes, and he did a bunch of stuff. I had no idea what I was supposed to do. But basically, it was an IQ test, and they were basically they were testing me. To see if I need some special education or something. I don't. But, um after that i went back to the classroom and then i didn't find this out at the time but i did find this out several years later that i was diagnosed which was then called mental retardation which is now called an intellectual disability um and that i needed to go to a special school and so there is a special school for children with intellectual disabilities in, um, in Honolulu in Diamond Head. And so they said, you, you should go to the Diamond Head school. But my parents refused. And as I continued to get older, I was having more and more trouble with school. Um, and so um, I remember clearly my parents giving me because I was having trouble in math, and my parents were giving me this math problem, and it was subtraction, but it was very large numbers. And I remember um, coming up with the wrong answer. And I clearly remember both parents looking at each other and said, we should have sent him to Diamond Head. And instantly I knew what that was. So that's why I grew up with everybody telling me I was dumb and I was stupid. Um, It wasn't until I was a lot older that um, I realized that I was neurodivergent. I remember when I was in graduate school the reason why I got a master's degree in learning disabilities is because I knew I had a learning disabilities by that point. Um, And everybody referred to it as an as the LD program. Oh, are you in the LD program? Um, And so when I was in graduate school, I recoined LD to mean learning differently because I don't have a learning, like I can't learn, of course I can learn. I just do it differently. Um, And so that's the kinds of things uh, in my early realization of myself was I was dumb I was stupid I was undesirable and it wasn't until I got a lot older when I was in graduate school and had my IQ tested that I um, was actually intelligent I have above average intelligence and if I truly had an intellectual disability um, I wouldn't have gotten through high school and um, I certainly would not have gotten through a curriculum in nuclear medicine because that was, that was an interesting degree because your first two years was biology, chemistry, physics, and math, and then the last two years was biology, nuclear chemistry, and nuclear physics. It didn't change it very much. Um, But when I got into the field, I didn't find it very exciting. As far as for mentors for me, when I was growing up, I was very alone. I didn't have a whole lot of mentors and, um, This is a question a lot of my therapists have asked me through my life. Like, who are your mentors? And, um, I say nobody. (laughs) Um, and they would always say, you must have some mentors. Like, didn't you read comic books that somebody you really enjoyed? So, well, I have a learning disability, I have attention deficit, um, I'm neurodivergent. Reading is not my idea of fun. I read because I had to, to be in school and once I finished school I really stopped reading. <laughs> so I didn't have any mentors. Plus. I grew up in the kingdom of Hawaii, and ethnically, I'm East Asian, and I grew up in the East Asian Hawaiian culture. All this stuff, the comic books, all the books that were available, all the stuff you saw on TV didn't interest me because they didn't look anything like me, and they didn't, they weren't interested in the same things I were interested in. They didn't eat the same things I ate. Like, where's your spam supposed to be? <laughs> so I didn't really have any mentors and nobody really believed in me because consistent message about my parents is, you're dumb, you're stupid. And I really believed that. But then by the time I got to college, I'm like, well, you know, if I really have an intellectual disability like if my IQ was around 70, like how did I get through a curriculum in nuclear medicine? So I started to have my doubts, but I didn't really have any mentors until I was in graduate school when um, my advisor, who was a school psychologist, really believed in me and really helped me and said that,
0: you have a learning
1: disability, you're not mentally retarded. and that was very helpful, but um, she really helped me. And that was pretty much my mentor, my hero. Um, when I continued with my doctorate degree, is like I mean, I didn't have to get a doctorate degree. I mean, I am horrifically overeducated, painfully overeducated, and it's really kind of sad because that's kind of like the Asian American stereotype. But the reason why I'm overeducated is because that was a coping mechanism for me to prove to myself that I wasn't dumb. Um, But by the time I got through my doctorate degree, I realized I didn't need this because I didn't need to prove myself anymore. And when I was in my doctorate program, I was really I didn't have the same kind of mentorship I had working on my master's degree. And my dissertation committee was dumb. So (laughs) I just decided to quit because my dissertation, I wanted to study uh, racism as it exists in psychotherapy. And all these white men told me that racism psychotherapy doesn't exist. So I'm like, well, okay then, well then, Why should I study it? But I know it exists because I experienced racism in psychotherapy and one of the reasons why I decided to be a therapist is because some of the therapy I had was so awful I decided I had to do it myself because they weren't really understanding what happens if you Are from a different culture other than the Western culture. Right. So some of the dark times that I experienced in my life was the physical, emotional um, and sexual abuse growing up, the constant bullying. The bullying was by my parents, my brother, family members, cousins, neighborhood kids, school kids, teachers, everybody was bullying me about something. It was a horrible time that, um, by the time I was 10, I was having thoughts of suicide and, uh, the thoughts of suicide, the chronic being chronically suicidal stayed with me until I was an adult. Um, I attempted suicide several times which was not successful and it didn't help me because this was just like another thing like oh my god I can't even kill myself. Like this is another thing that I can't do. Um, I remember sitting at the Ala shopping center which is the largest shopping center in Honolulu and at the time it was the largest shopping center in the world. I remember sitting in the shopping center I was sitting outside of this Jewish delicatessen which isn't there anymore. Now it's just this big giant food called, called the Mackay Market but I was sitting outside of this Jewish delicatessen because I could see the ocean. The ocean was across the street and the street between the shopping center and the ocean was this very very busy highway, which continues to be very, very busy today. And that would be Alamoana Boulevard. And I remember toying with myself about well if I just ran across Alamoana Boulevard, I would be killed and then that would be it. Or if I walked slowly across Alamoana Boulevard, I would be hit. But I never did that because it sounded Oh, that sounds like too painful to do. I remember then crossing Alamoana Boulevard. Um, Of course, with my luck, when I crossed Alamoana Boulevard, there were no cars. (laughs) So I got to the beach. And Alamoana Beach Park is a huge beach park. It's like a family beach park. And when you get to Alamoana, it's a protected bay and it's very, very calm. Um, when you get to the beach, the beach is very very flat. So because you can't see what the terrain looks like in the ocean because it's all full of water, well the, if the the beach is flat when you're going to water it's going to continue to be flat. So Ala is very very flat and there's a very slow decline and it's a very very safe beach. And I remember sitting on the sand at Ala Moana, and just basically crying because I wanted to die so badly, but I couldn't. And even as an adult, I do go to Ala Moana sometimes um, and that image in my mind just pops in my mind. Um, so that was a very, that was some of the dark times around that. And I always ask the question, why did I have to go through all of this? Like, where are my gods? Where are my protectors? Where is everybody? Um, but they were with me all the time. Um, so I learned, not as a child or as a kid, but I learned as an adult very late in my life that I had to go through all of these traumas and all of these experiences because if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be a healer. And since the time I was born, I was called to be a healer even though I didn't know that. But I was called to be a healer. so. Studying nuclear medicine in college was because that was a form of healing. It's not something I wanted to do. I wanted to be a nurse. And if I was a nurse, I'd probably be a nurse practitioner today. But I wanted to be a nurse and my parents wouldn't let me major in nursing. Because they felt if I majored in nursing, then I would be... That would just confirm that I was gay, but I would tell them, you know, it doesn't matter what I study, what I major in, I'm still gonna be gay. But I always knew that I was called to healing, um, and hence that's why I'm a therapist. <laughs> um, and I I knew I know that all of these traumas had to happen to me because that would make me a better healer. That would help me to practice pono, which is Hawaiian for doing the right thing. And that would help me to practice ho'okuliana, which is Hawaiian for taking responsibility, helping people to take responsibility for what they're given. And these traumas happen to me because I need to take the responsibility that through that I learned a lot of things and that I can be helpful and healing to my clients. So when I work with clients around transitioning or gender identity, when I work with clients around anxiety, when I work with clients around post-traumatic stress disorder, when I work with clients around suicidality, I'm not talking about something I read in a book. I'm not talking about something I learned in some stupid, obscure psychology class. I'm not talking about something that some white psychologist did a quantitative study on. I'm talking about real life experiences like I went through all of this. I know what it's like and I didn't, I wasn't able to commit suicide because I am diametrically opposed to pain of any kind and I am mostly opposed to pain on me. <laughs> so the same reason why I don't get gender affirming surgery is because I don't want to go through any pain. and so. But that's what kept me alive and if I didn't stay alive then I wouldn't be able to be the healer that I am. And it took me a really long time to figure that out and to learn that Um, but that's what I've learned and um, it's really helpful. I'm a very spiritual person. Um, Some people think my spirituality is really out there because I have crystals. Um, Crystals really help me when I'm doing therapy. I have a therapy altar that has crystals. It has uh, icons of the Hawaiian culture. It has a candle. all of that helps me to communicate. Like when I'm doing therapy, I will tell clients things I never thought about before. Like, how do I know all this? Somebody's working through me and I have to allow somebody to work through me. So I don't question it. I just say, work your magic. But I always, um, I wear a crystal labradorite, which allows you to, be in closer contact with your spiritual being. And I also have a Labradorite crystal that I hold and play with because I need something because I have ADD, I'm fidgety. Um, all of those things help me in the healing process. Um, and uh, my spirituality is important to me and I practice it as a combination of Christianity, a very small amount of Christianity, um, Buddhism, but it's not, it's not Buddhism like the Buddhism people study in the universities. (laughs) It's the kind of Buddhism that's practiced in rural China and Korea. It's a combination of Buddhism mixed with spiritism and anism. Um, So we do ancestral worship. I always do ancestral worship that really helps me um, I uh, as I was an adult I became aware that I was an empath and I was psychic in that I hear things and I feel things I lots of times I fight it like um, because I didn't really admit that because that also meant like I was competent in something and so like that couldn't happen right so um, but I always it always helps me and when I do therapy I do ask clients if they have any spiritual religious practices because that's an important thing to know in therapy um, but I don't usually speak share my uh, spirituality unless the client is open to it and when they are open to it they feel really really relieved because like you know I can't talk to any other therapist about this because they think I'm hearing voices well there's a difference between hearing voices and being in contact with the spirit. Coming in touch with my pitfalls of being neurodivergent um, because my parents always said I was ugly and fat, of course I developed an eating disorder, Um, having learning disabilities, having attention deficits, having complex PTSD because of the experiences I went through, having trouble with anxiety and depression. all those neurodivergent things, um, but I learned to turn that into a strength. Like being neurodivergent is not a fun thing. It's not fun. I'm neurodivergent, which means my brain works differently than everybody else. But I'm living in a world where everybody's brain works differently from mind. I'm living in a world where people's culture is different from mine. I'm living in a world where people's skin color is different from mine. I'm just different, like with a big D, like what the hell? <laughs> but that doesn't mean that it's it's a negative. It can be also a strength and I use it as a strength in the work that I do um, and with my friends so the hardest thing for me to accept was that I'm trans so the Hawaiian word for trans is mahu when I was a kid I was bullied and everybody would call me mahu because my mannerisms were somewhat effeminate Uh, I hate listening to myself talk like in a recording. Oh God, I hate that. Because I sound like a girl. Um, Lots of internalized transphobia because I was bullied that way. I remember one time coming home from a leather event and my friend told me, um, you know, you should just transition and I verbally laid into her, <laughs> mercilessly, <laughs> because there's, that's not, what are you doing? You you are triggering my trauma. How dare you do that? Um, and it wasn't, it took a really long time for me to take the word mahu, which was a painful negative thing for me and turn it to something of empowerment. A lot like the pink triangle. (laughs) So, um, it took a really long time. And so I didn't transition until I was in my late fifties and I have attention deficit and so I'm impulsive. And so the only reason why I transitioned is because my spirit guides, my gods, my spirit band, They were very patient with me. They were trying to tell me, you need to move this way, you need to move this way. And I wasn't moving, so they took Matt into their own hands and they said, okay, we're just gonna do it. (laughs) So I woke up one morning, and said, I'm gonna start hormone therapy, and I'm gonna transition. (laughs) And that's how I transitioned. And it was really, really hard. I'm very proud to be Mahu Wahine. Mahu in the Hawaiian culture means something more than just being a different gender. Mahus in the Hawaiian culture held a high place in society. They took care of the children while everybody else had to go out and work to get food. Um, Mahus were very spiritual And every mahu that I know, and I know quite a few who's, so mahu meaning somebody who's trans, who grew up in Hawaii. So those people, and there aren't a whole lot of us here in Seattle, so all of these people, they're all spiritual and they all have spiritual powers. And it just comes with being mahu, there's something about it that's very spiritual and so that's a strong meaning for me. Um, and so I continue to do the work I do today is like, yeah, I went through hell, it still bothers me today. Um, but it's not a negative thing. Um, I use it as a source of strength. I do have complex PTSD and I I still get flashbacks um, and that can depress me a lot and make me really, really sad. But then I do things to pull myself out of it. Like kanakapila is a very important thing in the Hawaiian culture. Kanakapila means to make music and I love to sing and so i sing uh i sing all kinds of different things but the things that's the most meaningful to me is when i'm singing in hawaiian and that that makes me happy um so when i was growing up i knew i was gay in the sense that i was attracted to men when, so this is Hawaii. Where there, you know there are no laws. That's why my parents were so abusive to me. There was no CPS. There were no laws. I mean, I was ten. Like I would buy cigarettes. Um, so when I was sixteen, I would go to. I guess today you'll call them bathhouses, but then they're movie houses. And I would have sex all the time, I was a severe sex addict um, because I was sexually abused and molested, I've had trouble with sexual boundaries, Um, I did all of that and then I went on HRT and then estrogen makes your libido stop. That cured me of my sex drive. But it also helped me to understand my sexual orientation. Like, as an adult, like when I went to bathhouses in Seattle, or when I went to bathhouses in San Francisco, as soon as I get in there, I would have a panic attack, and my heart would be beating really, really fast, and I would be shaking, and I never knew what that was about because I repressed my sexual abuse for the longest time and I realized that I was experiencing that because I'm having this emotional flashback about sex so it wasn't until my late adulthood that my sexual orientation is I'm asexual because sex scares me but I'm andro romantic so I'm romantically attracted to men but I'm not sexually attracted to men. And Men being men, that's a hard thing to tell somebody. Like, I'm not sexually attracted to you. I don't want sex. I just want to cuddle with you and hold your hand. <laughs> so, but it doesn't mean I don't have sex. It's just that I don't enjoy it. So, That took a long time. Um, I didn't come to terms with my PTSD and still I started hormones. Um, I was very emotionally shut down when I was in my 20s. I would be in therapy and my therapist would say, so how are you feeling today? Or they would say, what are you feeling? I said, nothing. Why, what are you feeling? So um I was shut down my therapist would say you know you display a lot of symptoms like you're sexually abused say, no I don't think so but then when I went on estrogen and the my tea started to fall then everything came back to me and I wasn't prepared for it cuz nobody told me about it so I don't want to scare anybody. I think being on HRT is a wonderful, wonderful thing. And it's done wonderful things for me. But my own experience was that when I started hormone therapy, I started to get more flashbacks and the trauma came back to me. At that time, it was not pleasant and it wasn't fun. But also, today I realized I had to do that because I had to know what was going on, because this would also help me as a healer, in addition to my own healing, so, um, but you know, being on hormone therapy is another is another experience, is that um, a lot of doctors say they know how to prescribe hormones, but the reality is, they don't. <laughs> So um, you really need to do a lot of research, even in a s- living in a city like Seattle, which is for the most part trans-positive. We have in Seattle is the home of Ingersoll Gender Center. It's like the first gender center in the United States. Um, even though all of those resources are available to people in Seattle, there are a lot of trans resources. If you live outside of Seattle, that's a different story. But in Seattle, there are a lot of trans resources. And there are a lot of doctors who do prescribe hormones. That doesn't mean they know exactly what to do. Like a lot of doctors follow WPATH, standards of care, which they should, but when it comes to hormones, Using anti androgens is not always the best thing. It has some really bad side effects. Um, some doctors don't know that you don't need an anti androgen. If you just were to use estrogen, when you get your estrogen high enough in your bloodstream, it will reduce and suppress your testosterone. The only thing with that, it takes a long time for that to happen. So sometimes doctors will use anti-androgens because a patient is saying, I want the transition as fast as possible. But that doesn't mean that it's the best thing for you. Right, and so I had to go through several doctors to find a doctor that I want, and then um, taking estrogen pills is like a waste of time, don't even bother. (laughs) that injections is the best way to go, but if you have uh, needle phobia, then there are other things that you can do, but the pills itself is not very... so these are all the things I learned that I can pass on to people who are transitioning who never told me anything about when you start estrogen, you're going to go through a second puberty. Well, nobody told me that. So, But even when I transitioned, I transitioned as I always knew I was non-binary, but I transitioned to be more femme, and I started being more femme because I like being femme things, and um, I like long hair, I like dyeing my hair, I love wearing makeup, I like wearing dresses, I like wearing long flowing dresses that blows in the wind. I love all of that, but there are certain masculine things that I like. I like working out, I have very masculine tattoos, I like facial hair, Um, so to me I'm truly non-binary but I'm non-binary femme so I look femme except for the facial hair which the facial hair is fake because I'm on estrogen so I can't grow facial hair. And I never could grow facial hair because I think that I was a... genetic gender anomaly as a kid, like I was never truly male. Because there are a lot of male things that never happened to me. Um, But I learned that I could draw in my facial hair using makeup. Um, And then when I do it, I like that look. Um, And other people like that look. And they said, I never knew you had facial hair. I said, yeah, I've always had facial hair. But they tell me that it looks good. Um, But part of the fun of being non-binary is that, you know, people look at me and they're going like, what the fuck? Are you male? Are you female? Yes, I am. Thank you so much for asking. So that's the fun part. It's like when I play with tourists in Hawaii, when I was in high school waiting for a bus. Tourists would walk up to me and they would say, excuse me, do you speak English? And I would say, I am so sorry, I don't know how to speak English. <laughs> and I walk away. So, um, or they asked me directions to go somewhere, I would send them in the opposite direction. Because <laughs> we in Hawaii have this great love for tourists because they're really irritating. And growing up in a resort town like For everybody else in the world, Hawaii is a big vacation town, but for some people they live there and it's not a vacation town. And I couldn't wait to get off that rock when I was 18. But now I enjoy going back to Hawaii when I can because I can rejuvenate my spirituality. So at the time when I was growing up, I was very alone. I remember being in my room, just crying, wanting to disappear and die. Um, But as an adult, I often think about that child in the room crying and nobody there to emotionally comfort them. And oftentimes I would visualize going there and telling that person who, I don't use my dead name because I hate it, even though at the time I had my dead name. But I still refer to myself as my current name, Pakalana, because spiritually that's my name. This The universe has always known me as Pakalana. They never knew me as some Asian person with an Irish first name. <laughs> so but I always tell this child that even though it's really difficult now and even though it's tough you may not believe me but hanging hang in there because it's going to get better um and a lot of times when things are really difficult for me I have I love animals so right now I have a cat I have an adorable cat Her name is Kailana, which is Hawaiian for adorable. (laughs) And um, I always wanted to hold her and cuddle her and drown her in kisses. But you know, cats are cats. They don't like that. So whenever my cat does something wrong, I don't punish her. Her punishment is that I'm going to carry her and drown her in affection. And that's her punishment. (laughs) But it really also really helps me and singing also really helps me and At night, I sleep with a purple unicorn, and it has wings, and I hug it all night as I sleep. And that helps me to remember that as a child, I had nothing like this. Like, I lived in constant fear. And even though my unicorn is a stuffed animal right now, when I return to the spirit world, the unicorn will be there waiting for me and I tell my friends this that in the physical world they're a plush but when I return to the spirit world they will be there in spirit for me and all my animals will be there and I will be flying around heaven on my unicorn and if I see you I'll pick you up (laughs) but that's an important thing is that I was It's not, it's something I wish I had as a kid of somebody telling me it's gonna be okay. And it it sounds very cliche because everybody says that. But as I look at my experience as an adult, I can go back to my child and say, I know this is hell, this is horrible, but hang in there because it's gonna get better. And you're gonna turn all of these weaknesses that you see, you're gonna turn them into a strength and you will be a very, very strong person. When I was a kid, I had a horrible time. I thought The Wizard of Oz was a factual documentary. (laughs) And so, (laughs) when I was a kid, I said all I have to do is click my heels, (laughs) and I'll see the wizard. I can ask the wizard, why is this happening to me? And then in the end, I will wake up Realizing I had this horrible dream and that a very loving family would be around me trying to see if I was okay. And as I clicked my heels nothing happened. And it's like well you know I live in Hawaii, it's kind of like further away. <laughs> I need to click harder. But to my disappointment that when I clicked my heels nothing happened. But I always wanted that to happen that I would wake up and this was a horrible nightmare. Um, But it didn't happen but I always tell my my younger self that things are going to get better because now as an adult since I transitioned things are a lot better even though sometimes things can seem a little dark it doesn't take much for me to switch over to the dark side but I'm always able to come back to the other side I think we live in, I mean, it's really difficult right now where we live in a pandemic and things may seem dark, but if you, if you really concentrate and trust the universe, the universe will always take care of you, especially now when we're just weeks away from the Lunar New Year, the year of the ox, where the ox is very, very strong and During the Lunar New Year, um, I will be going to the beach in Seattle, which what you can call a beach in Seattle, and doing some ancestral worship is something I always do, but whatever your spirituality draws you to do, just trust it, believe in it, it's only going to do wonderful things for you, unless you don't listen to it, then it might take things in its own hands.
0: Thank you Pakalana for joining us today and thank you listener for coming into the Queer Circle with us. To learn more about Pakalana's work and to get in t- contact with them. To learn more about Pakalana's work and to get in contact with them, visit their website manawanpua.com or visit queercirclepodcast.com for this information and more. Music from today's episode provided by Purple Fluoride. Purple Fluoride's music can be found anywhere music is streamed.